0: You are listening to the sermon series "Follow." In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the Gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of Life Light like Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. Okay, well, let's go take a look at our. take a look at our text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into it. Um, This is the, uh, I think, the fourth from the last study of the Gospel of Luke. We're almost there. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 66, and we're going to move on to chapter 23, verse 1 through 25. So, let's go ahead and read. I'll read one verse, and you read the next. Verse 66. When they came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, gathered together, and they brought him to their council. He said, if you and if I question you, you will not answer. All of them asked, Are you then the Son of God? He said to them, You say that I am. And they said, what we have from then the assembly rose at a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. And Pilate the crowds, a his accusation against this man. But they are insistent and said he stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he began, even to this place. And, as was and when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was him, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had not seen him for a long time. He said, "You are the beloved, and was going to see you before him some time." He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. Please subscribe, subscribe, and thank you. Even Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. And that same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, before they sent enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people. He said, You copy this man as one who is referring
1: to the people, and here I him in your presence, and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against
0: him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. Then they all shouted out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we hear your word. And I pray that your spirit will stir our hearts and uh, you'll help us to understand the words and then to apply to our lives in the ways that we understand who you are and what you have done and how we should respond to you. We pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth will be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you see what's going on? This is, um, we have gone into the Passion week, Passion of Jesus, and this is uh, Jesus on trial. And what we have seen in the past weeks is in everything, in leading up to Jesus coming to this point, to the Jesus' arrest, what was evident was the sin. It was the sin of the betrayal. It was sin of violence, bullying, denial, and all of that. The human sin, not only is Jesus dying, dying on the cross for our sin, but sin actually leads Jesus up to his arrest. And what we see today, from arrest, to his trial, to the cavalry, to the cross, it's also, again, sin that leads Jesus um, to the cross. Because who he is, what he has done, but who he is, offends the people, you know, to their success, to their own interests, to their agendas, uh, and it leads them to twist justice, use the, you know, political power, the corruption, and, uh, their, their desire to gain power in the power struggles they have. So that's what's happening, right? That's what's happening. Jesus being basically handed over from people to people, um, demanded to be, to be crucified, or according to selfish interest of man in power. So in today's text, we see three three groups. So it's three trials. And that's what we see. we starting with first one, From verse 66 to 71, we see the trial with the council. Verse 66, it says, When they came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, gathered together, and they brought him to their council. So we know that Jesus was at the the chief priest's house the night before, had questions asked, was tortured, ridiculed, and all of that. All of that was not legal, Right? All of that was not legal. But what they do is, they need, well, we need to do something more official, more legal. So we need to put him in a legal stand and actually go through this legality and, you know, and accuse him. So this is more of an official trial that's being done by the leaders in Sanhedrin. And you can see the whole, the whole council is there. There are some 70 plus people, um, scribes, elders, and leaders. They're all there. The council members, they're all there. And and it just shows how serious this matter is. They're all there accusing Jesus. So what do they want? What do these people want? And you can see because of what Jesus has done, whether it's Pharisees or leaders, chief priests, leaders, Jesus throughout his ministry has rebuked, challenged, and questioned the leaders. So what they really want, and you can obviously know that they want Jesus gone because it just doesn't look he doesn't make them look good. He interrupts them, you know, disrupts their system. Uh, he challenges them. He challenges to break the system uh, of power that they have. So basically, they want control. They want respect. They want to keep doing basically whatever they've been doing. So the charge that they accused Jesus of is verse 67. They said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. And basically, Jesus' response today is, well, You've heard enough. You've been around, you've seen me, you watched me, you spied on me. You've heard enough, haven't you? And verse seventy they say, all of them ask, Are you then the Son of God? He said to them, You say that I am. They said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard from him directly. There's no more need for testimony. There's no more proof needed. There's no more evidence needed. That's not how actually the legal system works, but they're kind of fitting it together to use it, move it quickly because they want this done. So, they have their verdict. They like to move on, and they want to kill Jesus, but they themselves don't have the power to kill because they're on the Roman system. And you could imagine, Roman Empire, they don't want their regions that they govern under to kill each other, kill people in their own doing, right? So, Romans want the control. So, they can't kill Jesus on their own power, so they need to bring Jesus to Roman system, so to the governor, so they receive the grant to kill Jesus, to have Jesus crucified. So what they do is they take him over to, take Jesus over to Pilate. And that's from verse 1 to 7. Verse 1, Then the assembly rose at the body and brought Jesus before Pilate. That's not usually done. That's not how it's usually done. They send like two or three representatives, the leaders or chief priests. They go and they report to governor and they ask governor and you know to permission. But the whole body, 70 some people, everyone went along with the whole crowd. That's how serious the matter was. And the charges, different from their own, because Roman law law couldn't care about their charges. Their charge was blasphemy. Jesus disrupting their system, but Romans couldn't care less. They don't care about the Jewish laws, the tradition, or their system. They don't care. So they need to bring up the charge that's different, that would require uh, the governor to act upon it. So verse 2, they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man, and three charges they bring. Number one, perverting our nation. Is that true? Not true, right? But perverting, obviously, their system. He, Jesus' teaching was against their, uh, their teaching, what they stand on. Number two, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor. Is that true? Then Jesus say pay to Caesars. What is Caesars, right? But, and you think about, it, if Jesus is who he is and claims to be king over Caesar, then then this will be true. Number three, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Is this true? Yes. yes. And that's the big charge they will bring. He claims himself to be king. That is against Caesar. Right? So he needs to be punished. He needs to be killed. Today. killed. And Pilate's response, you know, you have to kind of imagine, visualize what is going on in this courtroom. Pilate Who is a governor, who has insights, who has counsels from others, knows what's going on. He's not just, you know, stumbling up on this like he's an idiot. He knows what's going on. He looks at Jesus, who's beaten up, who's in poor clothing, who doesn't have anybody else. He has no following. And he looks at Jesus, and he's obviously thinking, are you the king of (laughs) Jews? You know, obviously he's thinking, this can't be. This is not true. Whatever they're accusing him of is not true. I mean, look at you. And Jesus said, well, you say I am. Right? So Pilate obviously looks at Jesus, talks to him, and, you know, realizes that he's not really what they're accusing him to be. So obviously he finds him not guilty. So they keep insisting. You know, he's stirring up people. So he's really touching on what is Pilate's interest, Roman governor. Pilate came in after previous governor was displaced because of the revolt that has taken in the place. So Pilate's interest is keep holding on to his power. And what is most threatening in the region, if you're a Roman governor, is the peace. Keeping the peace. Whatever it takes to keep the peace is the most important thing. Even over justice. Justice can be smudged over if it means let it make everyone happy. Let it nothing happen. let it Keep the peace. Let there be no revolution, no revolt, and they'll do anything. Anything to uh, keep that. So, Pilate's interest is, in expense of justice, I just want peace. I just want nothing going on. I just want peace in this place. So, they're touching on that. They said, well, he's stirring people up. Don't you want to do something about this? But obviously, he doesn't want to deal with it. He sees no guilt in Jesus. And he hears that, oh, he's from Galilee. Oh, so he finds his way out. Let me go ahead and send him to Herod. Because Herod... has the jurisdiction over people in Galilee. If he's Galilean, then Herod would have power to say whether he needs to be killed or sentenced to death or not. So what we see is Jesus in trial with Herod from verse 8 to 12. And this is the most interesting (laughs) because Herod as a character is pretty interesting. And uh, some of the movies that we watch kind of twist him as really this weird freak. Um, Maybe he was. Probably was, and it says that Luke says that Herod was really, really interested to see Jesus, and we saw all along in the story that Luke mentions that Herod really, really, really wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't get to. So he was super happy, which is weird in this scene. But he was really interested, and he was really happy to see Jesus, because he was just curious. That was really nothing. He it wasn't like he was interested in upholding the you know justice. There was no interest in him. All he was interested in is his curiosity. Who is this Jesus? I hear doing signs and and stuff. So he he is Jesus. He's asking me these questions and asking to show these signs. But Jesus obviously disappoints him because Jesus gives him nothing. Right? Just gives him nothing. So after abusing, questioning, and getting nothing, Herod does what is political, what fits his interest. So all of these group of people they're trying to work toward his their own agenda, their own self-interest, their own self-preservation. So that's what leads Jesus from arrest to the cross. Again, the sin, the self-centeredness, the sin of people. So what is political for him is, he doesn't want to disagree with Pilate. He agrees with Pilate. You know, I'm sure he wants to kill Jesus, because he's a crazy guy, he's a freak. But he uh, oh, let me do what's political. He agrees with Pilate that Jesus is not guilty, and he sends him back to Pilate. So what Pilate has done is, he has given uh, Herod some respect by, oh, I'll let him decide, because it's his own jurisdiction. And pa- Herod returns the favor by sending him back to Pilate and agreeing with Pilate's verdict. So he says in the Luke, later on, they were enemies until this, but now they became friends. They're not really friends, friends, but what that means is they have become a political ally because they saw each other meeting each other's agendas. So you can see what is going on with Jesus. There's all selfish agendas, interest. It's pushing Jesus back and forth, leading him to the cross. And what's going on with the rest of people? The rest of the story is Pilate insists on Jesus being innocent, and he does so three times. He really insists on it. And what Luke is trying to do here is he's trying to say that You know, the the people who are really responsible for the death of Jesus is Jews, these leaders. Not that. Pilate really insisted on um, that Jesus is innocent. But in the end, the crowd ultimately wins the uh, decision. And you can see that, and we obviously know that. But what about this character Barabbas? What is going on here? In other gospels, we know that on Passover, Pilate had the power to release one of the criminals. It's like, a, we have that in our system too, right? What do, you, what do we call it? Pardon, right? The president has a ability to pardon. Is it an independence day? I don't know. Whenever he wants. Whenever yeah, he yeah, wants? He okay, yeah, presidential power. So it's like Pilate has the power. On Passover, he releases one prisoner. So all of a sudden, the crowd comes, the elders and leaders, the council cries out, release Barabbas. And we see who Bar- Barabbas is. Who is he? Murderer. He's a murderer, but he's also, who? Insurrectionist. Right, he's, he's a zealot, he's a revolutionary, right? He, he leads people in revolution. So, what they're, it's really interesting what, what they're doing. What the council is doing is, we need more voice on this, we need more support on this. Release Barabbas, because he has a group of supporters, the whole of revolution people, right? Revolution people who wants revolution against Romans. Release Barabbas. And who agrees? A whole bunch of people who can really rally up nicely. It's like going to, you know, political rally and picking people so that, you know, those groups would really rally for you. Like, you know, politicians do this all the time, right? Whether it's gay rights, whether it's gun control, he, they lean toward those groups who would really support them with a louder voice. And that's what the council is doing. Release Barabbas. We know he's murder and stuff, but we'll get his people to shout because they're shot for Barabbas and killed Jesus in exchange for their own agenda. So they're including other people in it. And what's also interesting is, because of why all this is going on, Barabbas, who was sentenced to death to be crucified, gets saved. And Jesus takes his place. Sort of foreshadowing of what is about to happen on the cross. <laughs> but in the end, Jesus, the crowd... Who has all their own agenda, who wants to keep their security, safety, wins, and Jesus is sentenced to crucifixion. So the sin of people lead Jesus to the cross because Jesus in his life and in our life disrupts, challenges, offends, rebukes, and demands people against their against our own interest and security. And the charges they brought all together was that we see that three charges. And he responds to this. One, he is the Messiah. Which meaning, basically, he's the one promised after David. Second, he is the Son of God, the one promised in prophecy, uh, in the book of Daniel. La- lastly, he is the Son of God. Basically saying he's the God himself. Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the only God. And to these charges... He's guilty, if you really think about it. And he doesn't deny the truth. He takes upon to admit the truth. But these truth offends people. So really, as you look through this and compare the people who are here through the trials and ourselves, the question is, how do these truths offend you? Offend the people that you know? How does it offend us? Are you offended by it? Would people be offended by it? Absolutely right. And is truth that would offend people? Do you know people around you that would be offended by who Jesus is, the truth? The song we sang, uh, the the God, uh, God of this city. And listen to that. You know, look it through. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. That's offensive, isn't it? You ask anybody who's not a follower of Jesus, that's offensive. Because we wanna be we want to be kings, kings of New York or Kings of San Francisco, we want to be kings. We wanna be Lord of our lives, Lord over other people. We wanna be gods. Who Jesus is, these titles King of Kings, Lord, God. It's offensive. And people are against it. So, how do we as people of truth communicate, deal with, you know, dealing, communicating the truth with people? So, this is one of the things uh, that we're going to cover a lot when we're in retreat, but I have four that we can learn by, you know, looking up on what Jesus, how Jesus has handled in uh, communicating the truth of who he is. So, these are four, they're not limited to these four, but there are four that we can ask. Number one, and this is in your sermon guide, can I deny it sometimes? Right? Well, obvious answer is no, because that means you're lying. And ignoring is also denying. Not answering is also denying. Right? When you're caught, like, oh, you're Christian? I hope not. I hope not you're not caught that you're Christian. You believe in these things. When you're caught, when you are revealed, somehow people realize, oh, you go to church. You're a Christian. When you show people, I'm a Christian. I believe, you know. And when somebody come to you and ask, you know, what do you, what do you think about these things? And people ask me like, do you actually believe this stuff? You no. Know, how do you respond? Can you deny it? Is there an occasion that we can deny it? And you know, that's uh, it's a big challenge for some of you guys, right? Or, or actually, most of us, all of us, because not everyone, not all of us, are like. Those of us who went to um, so uh, to uh, the Palcon, we had we uh, Francis Chen spoke, and he says after he was saved, he was like really zealous. He would call people off. Funny thing, he would call the seniors that are graduating. He call them off and say, "You're graduating. I don't get to tell this to you. You got to believe in Jesus." Um, really weird stuff, right? I mean, not all of us are like that, right? Not all like not all of us are like Alex Cho. Alex kind of done. They're carrying. Bible around in school, and we know some people who doesn't, and not all of us are like that. Some of us are just not wired that way, right? So, is there an occasion? I mean, it's a big challenge for us. Do we deny it? And the answer that we get in the approach that Jesus has taken is that at least we can do is we may not express it outwardly like, like some of these people we know, but don't deny it. And that's what Jesus has done. By not denying the truth, he is gone to the cross. At least, don't deny it. And Jesus said, well, you say so. And part of that, you're wondering, what does Jesus mean when he says, oh, you say so? Oh, you said it. He's not saying, well, that's your word. That's not what Jesus is saying. In the context, what it means is, Jesus is actually confirming it. But what we know is, when they say, are you the son of man, or are you the king of Jews, It's partly true, but entirely true. Jesus is because Jesus is more than that. Are you son of God? Yes, he is son of God, but he's more than that. So you understand why Jesus doesn't claim himself to be these titles, because he's just more than that. So when when people say, are you king of Jews? Well, I'm king of kings, I'm king of everybody. But what you say is not fault, it's not wrong. Are you son of God? I'm son of God, but I'm God too. I'm the whole thing. But what you say isn't wrong. So what Jesus said, he's not denying. He said, yeah, that's true. Can we deny sometimes? And really, the answer I think is, at least don't deny it. If you come across it, if you come face with it, don't deny it. Number two, should I keep repeating it to them? Now, we ask this question because in verse 67, it says, they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. He replied, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I question you, you will not answer. And we've seen this. Jesus tell them they don't believe. Jesus asks them questions to let them think and believe and persuade them and have them realize, but they don't answer. So the question for us is, when do you stop telling these people? Some of them, you told them over and over. You told them over and over, but is it really talking to them worth talking to them over and over? When do we stop? Should we keep repeating it? if you, you know, tell them repeatedly and they don't respond, at some point, I think what this means, move on. At some point, you move on. And God may create another chance for that person to hear and move their hearts, but what you have done, you have done. Move on. And that's what Jesus is doing with in these elders, but that's Jesus. <laughs> it's maybe a little different, but what we learn is sometimes, move on. Right? Because what you realize and this if you are prayer prayer for through this you realize their mind has moved on their mind is already decided they're not interested just like these Pharisees and elders they don't want to know they have a different agenda than really wanting to know Jesus so the third question is should i even bother with some people should i even bother with them and uh, this is a good thing to ask because you, we, some of us have people who would talk to us, ask us, just to ridiculous, right? Just to ridiculous. They say, oh, you think God really, what about the dinosaurs? And, you know, what happened? You know, are there aliens? You know, what, you know, did Jesus die for aliens too? Some of the questions we get asked really, the purpose and the intention is just to ridiculous, right? Just to ridicule you and argue with you. They just want to argue. They just have fun arguing, they just want to make you look stupid, they just want to prove themselves right, um, and sometimes they just want to judge you. Oh, you believe that? Then why do you do this? Right? They just want to judge you, catch you in your own words. Well, if you believe that, why do you do that? You're a hypocrite. So, the question is, when somebody talks to you and asks you, and but they have absolutely no intention of learning and desire to know and believe, what do we do? And we learn this because of verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been waiting to see him for a long time because he had learned about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. That's all he was interested in, right? He was not interested in who Jesus was. He just wanted to, you know, see some circus, some show, right? Some tricks. And, which is really funny, Jesus... Does not talk to him. He says verse nine. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. This person might be the only person in entire history that Jesus said nothing to. <laughs> Jesus talked to everybody. But Jesus kept silent. He talked nothing. He said nothing to you know Herod. Because there was no need. Right? His, you know, not because you know Herod killed his cousin, it just there was no need to talk to this person who had no interest in whatsoever. So, should we bother when someone asks you about Jesus? What we really want to know is, is this person really interested? Does this person really want to know? What is their intention? What is their motive? And if their motive is not really want to know and learn and get to know Jesus, what do we do? We wait for another time. Don't bother. Move on. But, don't deny it. We'll go back to number one. If they say, well, you believe this, this stuff? Yes, I do. Don't deny it. But we don't bother. Move on. Number four. Does the truth always change people? <clears throat> and really the simple answer to that is no. People know, hear the truth, but it's God who changes people. Uh, and it's people who choose to believe or not. Uh, so what that means is, when you share with others, it's not... It doesn't go into your success rate, right? I told ten people, I got three to believe. I'm thirty percent success rate. It's <laughs> don't count, right? Jesus probably has like point zero one one, point zero 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 one success rate. If we really go by that, it's like thousands and thousands of people Jesus met. How many believed, right? So it's not hearing of the truth that people change. It's God who changes. So that what that means? Don't try to You know, keep your winning streak or losing streak and be depressed, be discouraged. All we're asked to do is share the truth, right? All we're asked to do is share the truth. Because it says in the other parts in the Bible, it says, if if we don't tell them, it's all good to love them. You know, love our neighbors and be nice, but if we don't tell them the truth, how will they know? So those are the four ways that we're dealing with, you know, dealing with the truth and communicating. We'll learn more about and talk more about that when we uh, at the retreat. But let me close with this. What we see here is the truth of who he is got Jesus killed. The truth got him in trouble. He got killed. And we know that many Christians, the first generation Christian and so on, and even today, follow Jesus. And they're killed, they're martyred, because of their stance of the truth. But what we know from this story is that Jesus was first to be, sac- to be killed, to die, because of who he was. And that truth is, I have some verses here for you, the one that we always know, um, John 14, verse 6. I am the truth, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to say, if you know me, you will keep my father, you will know my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him that Jesus is God. That's the truth. Jesus isn't ambiguous. He's not saying, you know, there are people in the history who say, Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, there it is. Right? In other parts in the Bible, gospel, he claims clearly, that I am. I am God. I was there before creation. I am there today. I am in the beginning. I am in the end. I am God. Jesus said, clearly, who He is. Um, Peter, who denied, also later on, in Acts chapter 14, tells the truth, and it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals, by which we must be saved. Only through Jesus that we can be saved. And that's Christianity. It's not by our own doing, not by, by keeping rules, not by our own scoring of what we have done and not have done. It's through Jesus. Only through Jesus. And that's offensive to everyone else. Only through Jesus. Jesus is God, and only through Jesus we can be saved. And that's the truth. And if we stand by the truth, we we'll are get in trouble. And in the newsletter, I ask, have you ever gotten in trouble because you haven't denied it, you have shared the truth, and you stood by the truth? Because this truth, the world will fight against you. Ridiculous, because they don't want to hear it. But what we need to take heart today from this story is their argument is not with us. Their argument is with Jesus. He has started the argument 2,000 years ago. And their argument today is even with Jesus. He's the one who said it, and he's the one who paid for it. All we are doing is just agreeing with Jesus, the truth that he claimed and he paid for. Who is Jesus is offensive, but what we, we see in you know the, in chapters to come up is that. What's more offensive than the identity of Jesus is His love. You can call it crazy love or others, but I think it's love that is offensive, offensive love, because it's a love that leaves you with a response. It's like, what do I do with this love? It's offensive. Jesus taking off and dying on the cross is offensive there's not, nothing more offensive than the love because it demands response and the only thing he wants is to be with us and um, I'm gonna play uh, a song and I don't like really doing that so I play in the background and you listen and I, and I share the, uh, the lyrics with you um, one of my favorite band, Third Day uh, there's this song called Love Song and uh, the, I think the song really expresses all of the Bible because all God desires with us is just to be with us. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.